The strong wind was howling and whistling. He was the first Chinese citizen to graduate from Yale University in the mid-19th century. I was born on the 17th of November. She had prominent features. Three of us were old enough to lend a helping hand. He navigated between two vastly different cultures and moved further to realize his dream and promote understanding between the people of China and the United States. Ye Mingxing was a native of Hanyang. I realized no danger. China is really awakening. Come and join us in discovering the incredible journey of Yong Wang in his autobiography, My Life in China and America. Check out the audible stories on radio.cgtn.com and all major podcast platforms. Just search for the podcast Books and Beyond and find My Life in China and America. I was born on the 17th of November. Delve into a world of words with Books and Beyond, a podcast made especially for audiobook lovers. World as the youngest of five I children. wondered what Her Majesty would be like. Fie upon you, limpid one. Why have you taken... Immerse yourself in gripping stories and timeless classics from the comfort of your own personal space. Sun Tzu underlined three points on the context game There was initiative. no better wine and not to mention... The Whether you're a bookworm or a casual listener, our carefully curated selection of audiobooks will transport you to new worlds and stir your imagination. Subscribe to Books and Beyond and start your audiobook adventure now on radio.cgtn.com or your favorite podcast app. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing, I'm He Young. Good to have you join us. Chinese men are spending in untraditional retail sectors previously not associated with males, such as beauty care, child care, and pet care. Has male-oriented marketing finally paid off? Or have societal changes impacted what they buy? What does a man want? And nobody plans a marriage with separation in mind, but with rising divorce rates and a whole bunch of other factors, prenuptial agreements are accepted by more couples. Prenups are kind of like insurance policies when a marriage breaks down, but is romance dead? We will discuss. For today's program, I'm joined by Li Yi in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. First on today's show. Male consumption power, or the lack of, has long been ridiculed as less conspicuous as pets by marketing professionals in China. Conventional wisdom has it that women decide what goes into the shopping cart, online and offline. However, the man of today is not the brownie man-witch-eating male of yesteryear. He is a savvy consumer who scours the internet for product reviews, and he likes to spend. Businesses and marketers who would dearly love to tap into all that testosterone have pinpointed the consumer behavior of the typical Chinese male shopper. Nobody likes to be profiled with that in mind, what's changed in the male consumer contrary to conventional belief? 
Well, I think it's quite interesting when we look at different consumption behavior based on genders, and as you said, Huyang, somehow. Male consumers are not really welcomed by business operators compared with their female counterparts because they are believed to have weaker consumption power. I mean, we traditionally assume that men are not interested in shopping and buying stuffs. I mean, they are the ones who would throw themselves in the sofas of shopping malls and wait their wife or girlfriends to get shopping done. And such kind of assumptions, I mean, are so penetrating that I remember in some cities there are even shopping malls which set up special areas for men to kill time while their wives shop. They would just call the zone as man caves or husband deposit areas. Women can really deposit their partners <laughs> and enjoy shopping freely. Yeah, but you know, for business operators, they also. Tend to target female consumers when marketing and advertising their products, except those male-driven brands. At least, I think they don't really consider targeting male consumers is as lucrative as targeting female consumers. So traditionally, I would say shopping has been considered as a female-dominated activity. However, I think in recent years things has definitely changed. I mean, businesses are becoming more attentive to the needs of male shoppers and their expectations. And meantime, you can see some change of、uh, male consumers as well. They are becoming more interested in new consumption tracks, especially with the booming e-commerce sector. I mean, they are obviously spending. Much longer time on different e-commerce platforms, and、uh, I mean there is previous research showing that the monthly active male in- internet users in China have reached 600 million, and particularly male internet users in China browse shopping apps for two hours a day, which is only over an hour less than that of female net users. And meantime, they also have higher purchase rate, which means that when they、uh, glance certain products on e-commerce platforms, it's much more likely for them to purchase that one compared with their female counterparts. <laughs> so I think all in all, things have changed, and perhaps it is time to rethink about the purchasing power of male consumers. I think that. Actually, men have always been spending money, and I think that men have always been shopping just for different things. And also, I think that we often associate this word "shopping" with objects that are traditionally associated with females, right? And so, I think the difference here is that these purchasing trends are just coming together a little bit, and some of the things that men are purchasing are also some of the things that we have traditionally throughout history associated. With females, for example, skincare. One really interesting thing that I've found to illustrate my point is alcohol. Now, alcohol purchasing across many cultures and societies has traditionally been associated with men. Men have traditionally purchased a lot more alcohol than women. But actually, I've found in the United Kingdom that younger men are drinking a lot less these days. Um, I actually found a report from the Office of National Statistics that found that 18 to 24 year olds are drinking 32 percent less alcohol in 2018, which is a while ago. So I imagine that it's even less now, 32 percent than in 2005.、Um, and I think that's a staggering statistic, actually. And then when it comes to grooming products, unsurprisingly, I found a report by Mintel: men's facial skincare 
is the fastest growing segment in the UK grooming market. I think we've discussed this before with sales increasing by 11% um, between 2016 and 2018. Um, and the grooming market now is worth over 2.5 billion pounds in the UK. So I think it's really interesting, but actually I think that one thing for me is that just that this word shopping, I think that we're just associating it with some more traditional notions when actually men have been shopping for a long time just for different products, in my opinion. Right. And I don't understand why it comes as a surprise that men buy stuff, because especially if you are someone who's not married and considering that in many countries, especially when the educational level increases and the amount of disposable income in people's pockets increases, then these societies usually have people who marry later. And then, yes, women are going to spend as well as men because he needs to take care of himself and... Uh, Therefore, he needs to buy stuff. And traditionally, we tend to think that men might not buy a lot of stuff, but when he does, it's usually the big ticket items like the car or thinking about purchasing an apartment, that kind of thing. So if we may walk back a little bit, um, what are the usual things that are associated with male consumption? Well, I think I would be hesitant to call, you know, like male driven uh, industries or female driven uh, industries. But I think if you look back to those data, there are certain sectors that you see more male consumers spending their money, for example, fishing. I think um, that could be one of the favorite sports events of a lot of male consumers, especially for those who are elder and fishing is also an activity with a severely imbalanced male female ratio i mean almost no women participate in, in this activity that is according to previous research and now i mean the consumption capacity of china's fishing industry has exceeded 100 billion yuan and on average each fisher has spent thousands of yuan on the sport and also there's digital products of course that's men's favorite all the time and some people would even buy digital devices costing tens of thousands of yuan without hesitation, like PC, like um, mobile, like tablets. And according to the data from Sony's flagship store on online shopping platform Taobao, Sony has sold tens of thousands of PS5 game consoles, each priced at over 4,000 yuan, with 600% of consumers being male. You know, my husband once told me that if I'm going to buy him a PS5 or some like game console, he would definitely take that thing to take the subway to let everyone know that <laughs> my, wife, my wife has bought me that thing. Oh. So they are so into this, you know, digital sector. So I think they have been spending money in this sector for a long time. And also there's video games, right? You can't uh, deny that those video games out there can really cost you a huge sum of money, especially produced by those major game operators. And I think including my partner, all boys would just love to spend money for that sector. So these are some sectors that men have been spending money huge. And that was such a cute personal anecdote. And also, you know, the man would actually have the genes <laughs> to show off as well. And if, you know, my partner got me this, then good for me, isn't it? <laughs> Like a child. <laughs> Josh, what do you see as the traditional sectors that males would spend 
pounds on. And also, um, you've given us some examples, but if we may、mm. take a wider look at some of these unconventional and so-called new retail industries that men are very much interested in spending money in. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So. I think some of the examples that we just heard are also across the board in the UK and US. And I've also found electronics, sports, the automobile industry, alcohol is still predominantly supported by male consumers. But there are some new ones,、um, some very interesting ones.、Um, some,、uh, as I mentioned, grooming products, especially skincare, is the fastest growing one. Also, clothing is rapidly growing in the United Kingdom.、Um, it was worth. Over fifteen billion pounds in twenty twenty,、um, especially casual wear and ath- athletic wear is particularly popular, which has grown by seven percent,、um, according to the same statistics.、Uh, and also、uh, in the United States, similar fitness and wellness is a huge、uh, booming industry, according to a report by the MPD Group. Sales of men's activewear grew by four percent. In 2020, and sales of skincare products also increased by seven percent. Also, online shopping, and a really interesting one I found was sustainability,、um, which is one that I hadn't heard before. Apparently, U.S. men are becoming more conscious of the environment, environmental impact of their consumer choices.、Uh, according to a report by Nielsen, 75 percent of U.S. men are willing to pay more for sustainable brands, and alcohol investment. Spending on alcohol is is going down, especially among younger men. And I also found some interesting reasons to why this is.、Um, I've health awareness, growing health awareness, is one thing,、um, according to the Office Office of National Statistics in the UK. Increasing of prices, the cost of alcohol in the UK. Also, anybody who's a smoker in the United Kingdom will tell you, or anybody who's visited the UK who's a smoker will tell you how. Massively, the price of cigarettes has gone up. I mean, the cost of a pack of cigarettes can easily be 170 yuan,、uh, if I briefly translate that, which, as you know, in China is is way way more.、Um, and also, just another interesting one: social media has been another factor that apparently has influenced these changes. Younger generations are, of course, much more; their lives are much more ingrained into social media. They are much more influenced by it, and Social media, for better or for worse, we've we've spoken about the toxicity of it, and you all know my feelings about it. But also on the other side, it does promote a healthier lifestyle. And drinking alcohol, smoking cigarettes is definitely not part of that. Yeah, and it seems like the younger generation has a new perspective on health and how they want to conduct their lives, and. In a way, parting from these traditional stereotypes of what you see. Oh.、Uh, Macho guy is supposed to do, and and who says the man has to be macho anyway? So when we look at here in China, it, it becomes something that is headline worthy. Apparently, that all、oh, men are buying all this stuff for their pets, for skincare, for their kids. Tell us the details of that. Yes, I think、uh, these are some sectors that were traditionally considered. 
as the male as the major consumption area for female consumers. But nowadays, I think apparently you can see many more male consumers joining in the sector. For example, pet male cons- customers are showing no less consumption power than women in the past in the pet health consumption market. I mean, facing increasingly diverse. Pet products and detailed service demands, and also the proportion of male and female consumers in pet health consumption in China, is close to equal. So、mm. basically, I think both male and female consumers just love to devote their money to their beloved pet friends and also skincare. I think in China, it's really a late trend that males start to care about their skin and their appearance because. I remember that, like a few years ago, when I visited South Korea, I was quite impressed that everyone was so pretty and、uh, <laughs> dressed up. You know, when you walk on the streets of Seoul, and also including those、uh, boys and、uh, men. I mean, so you see, I think I think to care about your appearance is something that's worth to be praised. At least that can show you respect yourself, and also you show respect to others. So somehow in China, you can see men they start to care about their skin, and、uh, particularly the male skincare product pr- market in China is expected to maintain a rapid growth, and this sector is expected to reach over 20 billion yuan by 2026. And meantime, there's male fragrance. I wouldn't really call it as a new sector. I think there has been、uh, male fragrance all the time. It's just uh, some uh, maybe the sector keeps increasing or surging in recent years. In the meantime, I think another sector that is worth our attention is baby care sector.、Mm-hmm. Um, I think in recent years, especially young fathers, they start to take more responsibility in terms of taking care of their babies. So that's why when you see those advertisements of those baby care products, they also start to target fathers, especially young fathers. And when you look at those posts on social media platforms, you can also see more young father KOLs, and that has also a Roused people's attention and discussion. So basically, these are some new changes, and I think we are more than happy to see those changes because I really think no industry should be defined by people's gender, and、uh, we can't really simply say that's men's things and that's women's. Things so、uh, when you assume like men don't really care about their appearance, you are also deprive them of the right of being. Pretty and、uh, they're right, taking care of themselves right, to enjoy、yeah. quality designs. I think、mm-hmm. that's a very good trend, anyway. Yeah, and just by the fact that you have laid out all these different points for us, and then we say, oh, traditionally men don't really shop as much in these sectors. With these new changes in place, doesn't it show that well? In fact, men and women are both buying stuff、mm-hmm. in that sector. So it's almost like a convergence of. Shopping preferences and trends of products of men and women, and it's really interesting to see these、uh, new findings, so to speak. And we do have some research in front of us of data that goes into still the niche differences of, for example, moms and dads when they shop for stuff for their kids. And apparently, according to Domestic commercial data analysis from CBN Data they revealed that there's a significant difference in the focus of 
shopping between fathers and mothers, with young fathers placing greater emphasis on their children's playtime experience and showing higher spending power on a whole bunch of children's. Toys, as opposed to moms. In addition, fathers seem to be more willing to try new things and have relatively low sensitivity to prices. <laughs> and these are just some of the、uh, figures that the e-commerce sites have crunched up to give us a little bit of idea on how fathers and moms could be shopping a bit differently. And Josh, do you see similar kind of trends? Um, let's say in shopping for kids, is it a traditional notion that is now changing? That oh, it's usually moms who are buying stuff for kids, and also she's probably purchasing toilet paper, kitchen utensils, and a whole bunch of these perishable goods stuff for the house. I wonder what is the story over there in the UK. I think the story is a similar story. I think that. This these consumer trends are just another thing that is illustrative of big cultural changes that are happening all over the world. And we've spoken about on the show before about stay-at-home dads and、uh, house husbands, or whatever we want to call them. Right, the terminology we can also argue about. But we've been talking about changing gender roles, and it's really happening. So yes, of course. Um, men are spending more money in this industry as well. I think that it's really fascinating, and I think that it's only going to develop in this regard, and probably it's going to become more and more aligned.、Uh, what do you guys think? Do you agree with me? Yeah. What do you see as the reasons to change? Because these are quite obvious changes in Chinese society that I don't necessarily think would even emerge as the so-called trend that deserves our attention on the show. But I have to give some credit to some guys who、um, started putting on makeup and therefore gave rise to the term "guy liner." A few years ago, almost a decade ago or so, but now it seems like you know what's really been embraced by males is skincare, so、mm-hmm. not makeup, but to improve the appearance and health of your skin. So, Lee, what do you see as the possible under the water forces that have forced these changes? I somehow agree with Josh that consumption is is just one sector that can symbolize our culture are, is changing overall. I mean, particularly when we talk about genders, I think we have different gender expectations nowadays compared with、uh, previous years. And baby care is one example, and also cosmetics and makeup and skincare sector. I mean, when you look back to those、uh, very traditional. Views about consumption based on genders—you can really find that they are made by pretty conservative views on consumption behaviors based on people's genders. I mean, business operators in cosmetic sector used to target female because they think female cares much more than their male counterparts about pretty appearance. But I think nowadays consumers themselves are also trying to breaking those kind of stereotypes or stigma based on genders. I mean, when you look at those female consumers, they are also trying those products that are designed for male consumers. For example, like apparel, like fragrance. These are all the changes that are happening, and I think 
these are just something that have been noticed by business operators, and they are trying to embrace that kind of trend to,、mm -hmm. to target more audiences. So I think overall,、uh, I would say in the future this trend will keep going, and、uh, as long as we we have different opinions on genders and gender equality, that. Uh, trend will keep going forward. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of tough for retailers and especially product design in a way to position themselves when they want to ride the so-called gender tide or gender divide. But、uh, also, there are some of these designs that, if you have your specific target audience or user in mind in design, then it would work very well. For example, some of these very small home. Appliances that became hugely popular even before the pandemic of staying at home and all that stuff—they were targeted towards the ladies who are living alone between the age of 21 to 45, and the design were cutesy and、uh, very easy for her to maneuver. And then that became a huge hit. And then behind the design was. Well, it's female, and、mm. and she's probably living alone. So, so it's really interesting how to sort of get the gender difference in mind, but also coming up with products and marketing strategies that do not abuse this idea. And let's face it, you're looking at a new generation of consumers, men and women, and there are still some really interesting findings when we look at the male and female consumer behavior. One is、um, apparently men have possibly higher brand loyalty when it comes to the stuff they see is marketed towards them.、Um, this reminds me of a previous discussion we had on the show about men apparel, and a lovely male guest on the show admitted to us that even though he does not like. The fashion brand that he goes and that goes to, and that fashion house is known for churning out mediocre designs for many, many of our male consumers in this market. But he buys stuff anyway because he just can't be bothered to find out a new fashion house, and it's a headache for him. And he has this real need that he needs to buy these clothes. So, Josh. You're the male consumer <laughs> representative here. The last word goes to you. <laughs> I think that、uh, men do have. I'm not even sure if I would define it as brand loyalty, rather just fear of the unknown when it comes to <laughs>、um, new brands. So, and I guess that that manifests itself at least economically as what would be defined as brand loyalty. But maybe this will change. Maybe as consumer trends change, men will also. Start to diversify their apparel a little bit more. It's、yeah. a long way off for me. <laughs> You're listening to Rantable. Coming up next, more couples are getting prenups. Stick around, everybody. We'll be back after this break. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Li Yi in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up with wedding season just around the corner, we take a look at the legal, emotional, and romantic aspects of drafting a prenup. 
before tying the knot. Welcome to the prime prenup season, and a 55-year-old delivery man just made his poetry debut. We'll discuss discovering art in everyday life and finding beauty in the banal. Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. Please keep sending us your comments, thoughts, and questions to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Your voice could be featured in the show in our heart-to-heart segment. Audio clips are preferred, but emails will do. We would love to have a heart and heart with you. And now let's move on to the next topic of today. A prenuptial agreement or prenup is a legal document created prior to marriage, defining a couple's financial rights and responsibilities in the event of divorce. Prenups have kind of a bad reputation for being unromantic or pessimistic, as if these documents and the discussions they prompt constitute a wholly unromantic anticipation of ultimate failure, even before saying. I do. Rather surprisingly, in the last decade in the U.S., a growing number of regular folks have signed a prenup. Prenups are not just designated for the mega rich, and there are many things that apparently people who make an everyday living can consider in a prenup. So let's take a look at what's going on, and apparently this phenomenon is seeing a rise in China too.、Mm-hmm. I think it seems that more people are starting to consider to sign a prenup. Recently, I mean, if you look at things in the states, according to a survey conducted by Harris Poll, which is a global market research and consulting firm, a survey conducted in 2022 shows that about 15% of married or engaged adults reported signing a prenup. But similar study conducted by the same agency in 2010 reported that only three percent of Americans surveyed had signed. One, and also the recent survey may also indicate that prenups will only become more popular with time. You know, according to the survey, four in ten U.S. adults support the use of prenups. And meantime, I think there is also generational. Difference in terms of people's attitudes towards prenups. It seems that younger generations are more likely to sign prenups. The same survey found that nearly 40% of married or engaged people between the ages of 18 and 34 have signed a prenup, while just about 13% of people between 45 and 54 had done so. And I think in China, similar trends here. Especially those born after 1990 start to think about getting a prenup. According to China Youth Daily, that 13 years ago, only about 10% surveyed said they need a prenup, and that number has increased to over 50% around six years ago. And particularly for young couples, they are not only talking about assets, I mean money. They are also thinking about include properties or automobiles, virtual assets, or like game equipments, and even their pets in that. Agreement signed between couples. So basically, there has been more discussion about prenups, and I believe a few decades ago, few people really know what is a prenup. And nowadays, as more young people are deciding to tie the knot, and they started to think about a prenup. Yeah, earlier this year we discussed a topic. 
of this fight for custody of cats and dogs Mm -hmm. among Chinese couples of the younger generation. Josh, do you see this as a widespread phenomenon in your country and your observation around the world? In the UK, prenups are increasing in popularity. According to a survey conducted by Vardags, which is a law firm specializing in family finance. So we've got to keep in mind that these statistics, you know, it's their incentive to increase these figures, right? But anyway, they have found that the number of clients seeking prenuptial agreements has increased by 50% in the last five years. But actually, when I heard hear this term, I immediately think about the US and it's much more popular in the United States, actually. Um, In the United States, according to a survey conducted by the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, 63% of divorce attorneys reported an increase in prenups in the past three years. 74% said that prenups are becoming more popular with millennials as well. So it's the same story, it seems to be, around the world. And I think that's pretty interesting. I guess that people are looking at marriage um, in maybe a less traditional way in And as I see it personally as well, maybe it's because I'm of that generation, more of a practical way and seeing it as more of a practical bond. And let's face it, the most practical thing we can talk about here is money, is financial assets, right? So I guess in that respect, it's pretty illustrative of the times. Yes, I don't think anybody plans a wedding or marriage with separation in mind. But just look at the divorce figures, for example, and I happen to come across some figures uh, published by the UK Office for National Statistics. And in the year 2021, the most common duration of marriage for opposite sex couples was eight years. And in China, We've seen in the news that divorce is something that people talk about far more often and you've heard of people around you who've probably had a divorce, that kind of thing, which was just very different um, years ago in this country. So, you know, this general climate doesn't really support marriage or, you know, walking into this thing can I say blindsided or without a plan, Um, just doesn't seem to be a great idea if people are becoming quite rational about this. A prenuptial agreement, or prenup for short, is a legal document drawn up by lawyers on behalf of two people when they plan to get married. And couples typically sign the contract before their wedding, and it generally goes into effect on the day of the marriage. The point of a prenup is to define each person's rights and responsibilities if the marriage ends, either through divorce or death. So also, could you tell us a bit more about what is included in a prenup? Because yes, Josh told us money, but actually money is being valued in many different ways. And um, let's go through them. I think the major thing we talk a lot in signing prenup is assets, it's financial assets. I mean, in addition to disclosing your prenuptial assets, it's also important to outline whether any property will become marital property. I think according to the current law of China, your prenuptial assets belong to you yourself. However, after you got into marriage, all those property would be shared between you and your couple. So I think that's why some people would want to sign 
find this prenup to show which is separate property and which can be included as uh, marital assets. And also another important issue is debts, especially mm. when people has a partner who has debts, they want to sign a prenup because they want to identify which part is a separate debt and which part shall be shouldered by two of us. And sometimes to sign a prenup can really protect yourself and also your partner. And also there's um, responsibility, financial responsibility. I mean, people can decide who will be responsible for taking care of household expenses and how much is each party expected to contribute towards retirement and who will be responsible for paying off debts. These are some questions can be discussed and written down in those prenups. And also children is a very important issue here. I mean, you can decide the responsibility of taking care of your children after marriage and prenup can also outline the allocation of assets after the death of a spouse. And also there's earnings, there's uh, retirement accounts. So there are many things that can be discussed in written down and included in prenups. But I think all in all, um, when we talk about prenups, the most frequent subject is money. Yeah, and it shows up in different forms. For mm -hmm. example, um, this is not something that previous generations would have need to think this much about. That is inheritance. Now Chinese people, well, some people will have something to be inherited from their parents. And uh, with the improving economic situation for families, then you got to talk about what's being passed down in the family. And does that go to the individual or does the spouse have a share of it? And, and these are things that um, families will need to consider. Josh, give us an idea of who are getting the prenups. Apparently, it's not the ultra rich. And, and why are people getting the prenups? Sure. Well, it's not always the ultra rich, although I must say that I've from the evidence that I've found that it is more popular with people who have greater assets, but it's starting to become much more common. The, the reasons for it are there's many reasons for this. I, I Again, just as we discussed earlier on in the show, cultural changes, I think. I think more traditionally, assets and finances were more clearly divided between traditional male and female roles. And in many societies and cultures, it was even seen, the whole idea of marriage is seen as a financial exchange, right? So there's no need for a prenup in that situation when the thing is seen as a sort of asset exchange in the first place. So this obviously is changing, but I think that this is also illustrative of cultural changes of traditional male and female roles becoming more aligned. Uh, again, asset protection, definitely the protections of individual assets, be it male or female or whatever. I think that people see this as something to do with um, trust as well. And I guess this is an argument against getting a prenup is that why should we get a prenup if we love and trust one another, right? We should be able to trust that if we do get a divorce at some point that we would be respectful enough to not need this prenup. But I guess that for a lot of people, it just, it's a clear division of those assets and it reduces stress as well. Marriage is very stressful, I, I imagine. I've never been married, but the idea of it stresses me out, to be honest. And I guess that any, any way that you could reduce that stress, any way that you could relieve pressure, 
it makes a lot of sense. And I, I guess that, that this is a reason why as well. Yeah, I think it's really beneficial if any assets would be difficult to be divided 50-50. Because, mm. okay, in the past, first of all, till death do us part, right? So um, in the past, it's till death does us apart. So therefore, you don't need to think about the thing breaking down. And also, if people kind of had in mind in, you know, in, in history of a civil matrimony, that it's an exchange of assets, then is it 50-50? Or we're so intertwined that breaking up assets would just be impossible. And then what a terrible but realistic way of staying in a marriage. Um, but now people talk about love, people talk about, you know, don't want to be trapped in a marriage if it's for the wrong reasons. And then therefore, we need to talk about how to end things that saves the trouble or saves the stress. Um, if you think getting married is stressful, parting ways, I would think would be even more stressful, if not sometimes dramatic. And what a pain to walk through if um, you're already unhappy or angry, resentful of the situation, and then you have to like divide up assets, talk money in that kind of circumstance. So these are some of the reasons why, you know, trying to figure this thing out ahead of time when we still have very good feelings for each other um, sounds to be a very rational way of dealing with it. But also, is romance dead? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's kind complicated because, you know, when we talk about the signing prenup, it's pretty much like a legal issue. It's very rational and illogical part. You know, sense and sensibility, we talk a lot about it. I think when it comes to intimate relationship, especially when it comes to marriage, it can be quite complicated than we expected because people are, I mean, people, we have feelings, especially yeah. when you are deeply in love, you are emotionally attached to each other. It's not only assets, it's not only financial assets. I mean, how are we going to divide this if things don't work out? I mean, at the first place, you to decide to tighten out and uh, enter marriage together, you wouldn't really think about ending part, especially when you start to talk about signing prenup, it can be hurting people's feeling, mm. especially for the person who is asked to sign prenup. Yeah. You know, the person would be like, are you not trusting me? Are you assuming that I have some attentions when I want to get married with you? Or are you assuming that I'm like coveting? So these are some very, very subtle and challenging issues people have to deal with when talking about the prenup and also when talking about signing up prenups. So it's very complicated, I would say. Yeah, I think if we're both um young reckless and broke um no i mean if you're both young and you don't have a previous marriage and you don't have that much assets to be devied up and then you're building a life together sure i don't think you need to think about mm -hmm. the prenup but a lot of the times now we're talking about maybe this person has already had a divorce and maybe you've had a child already and then you enter the next marriage mm. and then you want to protect the inheritance of your child 
Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, and you know, family co- um, relationships can become more complicated as mm-hmm. they have been in our society as well. And then maybe having some kind of arrangement becomes a bit more useful in that sense. And also, if there is a significant imbalance in personal finances for both people, um, then the prenup could be something that one party will bring up. Just think about this. If you are marrying someone who is a billionaire, and then I have like five peanuts to offer, (laughs) and much more, (laughs) a great personality and a bright future together, whatever it is. And then, you know, if the other person is asking, well, babe, can you sign a prenup? That's one thing, right? Mm -hmm. And what if you are the billionaire and you walk in a marriage and then the other person has very little financially to offer, then how would you think about, should we have a prenup? Would your mind uh, be different when it's these two scenarios? I'm, I'm really not sure. I know that I'm trying not to sit on the fence with this, but I'm really not sure because I think all of this it really depends on your relationship and also as you mentioned the financial situation if you were to marry a billionaire then i guess it shouldn't make any difference really but i guess it would make a difference if if i were to marry a billionaire then i would totally understand them getting a prenup let's talk but numbers i also think that huh? <laughs> let's talk numbers <laughs> yeah, yeah um i'm not sure uh I think, honestly, I think that it comes down to trust. And I also think that that doesn't mean that you shouldn't get one. I think that if you have a trusting relationship, you should also trust that that conversation is a very normal thing to have. And so I would like to think that when I get married, that we could have a conversation about a prenup. And if we both wanted one or one of us wanted one, that that wouldn't be the uh defining factor in us deciding whether we want to get married or not um but that's just my personal that's my personality for different people it may be completely different it depends how you feel about money i guess i think it can be really different when it comes to signing prenup for the super rich group especially if it's a billionaire i mean uh, usually the person would own a company or an organization and sometimes they would like to sign a prenup not only to safeguard their own assets but also to safeguard their company because they want to make sure that okay i'm going to get married with you but i also want to make sure that if we if we don't really manage to sustain our relation, I have to make sure that my companies, I mean, my stock shares are not really, you know. Yeah. It's really easy to slip into the dream yes. of a billionaire. <laughs> I think it could be much more complicated, but yeah. I think that's just a very rare cases. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we are talking about the majority. I think yeah. most of us don't really have that uh, huge numbers in our bank accounts. And of course, in that case, you can talk about trust, you can talk about respect. Yeah. But but also, I suspect it's actually closer to us than we might think. Um, let's say if you have one apartment that you inherited from your parents, or you are going to, and that's maybe the biggest asset for a lot of Chinese people, mm-hmm. that is the apartment you live in. And then when you get married, that's kind of the elephant in the room that you know you're thinking about, but you're not saying anything about it, um, or maybe you're not thinking about it. Well, write to us if you are really you know that romantic. Um, so basically, 
having some sort of plan, I think it might put the restless minds of some people to rest in, in that mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. As the assets of Chinese people become more and also diversified and this kind of issue does come up and some people question if you bring up money when you're feeling so good about each other and you're gonna get married and it feels like the wrong time to do that it's like spoiling the moment but apparently litigation and family lawyers are saying that is the best time to bring it up. But of course, you know, these professionals have their own interest in all of this. Um, what do you think about this sort of money talk that apparently can make or break a marriage long term? I think a relation that money talk is embarrassing is not a good relation. I think if you two really uh, know each other very well and you trust each other, I don't really think you should be feel feeling embarrassed to talk about money because that's very pragmatic issues and you have to face, especially when it comes to marriage. You have to face uh, financial responsibilities in the future in terms of taking care of yourself, your uh, partners and your family members and also your children in the future. So all of these are centered around one thing that is money that is very important thing so i think if you find it's awkward to talk about money with a partner maybe it's time to rethink what's going wrong with you two within the relation i mean if is it this guy you can't really trust is it him or her refuse to talk about it then i think you may need to rethink if you two still want to get married i think that it can be incredibly awkward honestly and i think that this it really differs from culture to culture because in british culture for example money is an extremely awkward topic extremely awkward in not just in this marriage or prenuptial agreement concept uh, context it's also awkward just in everyday life for example you can't really openly ask people how much they earn it's very hush hush and um but this is not to say that it's very important to people so I know people that have been in relationships for, for years and they have no idea how much the other person earns. And um, that's pretty common as well. So I, I, Hold I, on. I guess that... What did I yeah. hear? Do you mean like when these two people are just dating or is it in a marriage that they don't know how much the other person earned? Even, even in a marriage. How is that even possible? It's like the biggest mystery. <laughs> I mean, the amount of assets that people have got, it's, it's just, is it I, I like mean, intentionally... I thought that this was normal, obviously, because I, I thought this was I very normal surprised. because I'm from the UK, right? I'm not saying that this is across the board normal, but it's not unusual for suddenly an asset to, to appear out of nowhere. You know, people are very private about this. Um, I have no idea how much money most of my friends and family earn or have. And that's very common as well. So it, it this bleeds over into relationships as well. So um, maybe this is why we're a little bit behind on prenups compared to the States, for example. But um, yeah, it is very awkward. And it's very, you've got to be very careful how you go about talking about this. I can really understand why uh, you don't really want to talk about money with your friends, with your co-workers. But I mean, in intimate relationship, especially when you two are building up a family, 
there are certain pragmatic issues, and you can't really avoid talking about money. You have to know this person's financial status. And、yeah. uh, I mean, there is risk management in terms of building <laughs> your relationship, right? So I can't really understand that point. So you guys consider that as privacy, and、uh, you don't really talk about it with your partner. Yeah, I guess it's kind of privacy. I mean, British people are private about a lot of things. I think, as culturally, we tend to be a little bit awkward about stuff, and、um, money is definitely one of them. I think that. And this could be a long conversation, and I won't even get start going into it. But I think that it has something to do with our obsession about class systems in the United Kingdom. So telling people how much you earn, it kind of puts you in a class system, or at least people think that it might put them in that system. For example, etc., etc. We could go down a real rabbit hole with this, but I, I will not. Maybe this is where it stems from, but it's just how it is.、P、different cultures are very awkward about very different things, right? Yeah, it's really interesting how、um, different cultures can view this so differently. When we talk about signing a prenup, this is essentially a piece of legal document that requires the presence of lawyers, and this doesn't come free. So, when actually going about this prenuptial agreement, what are the steps that one needs to take to make it happen? I think first of all, you need to seek legal advice, and I think that it's really the only way to make sure it's fair and binding. Of course, this also is probably one of the cons because bringing someone else into your relationship—I'm not sure how romantic traditionally that is, right? But this is probably what you need to do,、um, even if you have a background in law or something. Making sure that it's fair and legally binding requires you to get a third party. And bring them into the picture as soon as possible. So that would be the first, and hopefully the last last thing that you have to do. Yeah, and we checked some numbers. Apparently, in the U.S., it costs usually twenty five hundred U.S. dollars just to get this document signed and、uh, with all the necessary legal advice. And of course, if we're talking about more assets, it could be、uh, more expensive for people. And in China, I'm thinking. We talk about future occupations that could be popular in this country, and with the prenup and everything else in mind, maybe becoming a family or divorce lawyer in the future sounds to be an occupation that will be met with、um, quite a lot of business.、Mm. And I think not only signing prenups is the only way actually to protect your assets. I learned that in China, you can also Try to notarize your prenuptial assets before marriage. That is also a legal way that is、uh, acknowledged by authorities to protect and make your assets public. If you really worry about your financial assets thing after your relationship doesn't really work out, and、uh, somehow that is a less awkward way to do so. Yes, and also、uh, if you're leaving your children with assets, write that in a will and make it. Specific. It's only for that child, and then it shields the spousal opportunity of getting their hands onto the asset. You're listening to Roundtable. Thank you very much, Josh Cotterell and Li Yi, for joining the discussion. I'm He Young. We'll see you next time.